This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hey friends, welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And my guest today has been doing just that for many, many years. I'm excited to bring you this conversation I had with my friend Dan Kimball, who was on the ground floor of the early emergent church movement. The emergent church, of course, was the precursor to progressive Christianity, and Dan had to leave when he realized that a lot of his co-workers, a lot of the people he was in the trenches in ministry with, believed some very heretical things, and he could not be a part of it and promote that. So he's going to bring us some really great time-tested wisdom. Today's episode is brought to us by Impact 360 Institute, who create life-changing experiences for students that I get to be a part of as a faculty teacher. Go to impact360.org to learn more. So I just want to tell you about a couple of things before I get to this conversation with Dan. You've heard me talk on the podcast before about my new podcast that I have with Natasha Crane that is weekly 15-minute bite-size commentaries on cultural topics, right? We've tackled transgenderism. We've tackled not bowing to pride activism. We've tackled um, politics. We've There's been no subject untouched. But I want to let you know that we just released an episode that I think might be the most important episode that we've recorded and maybe the most important episode that I've even recorded personally. And uh, many of you may be aware that about a year ago, Natasha, myself, Krista Bontrager, and Monique Dusan did a live stream about the Orange curriculum. And Natasha and I have recently been made aware of some more developments that's indicating that the Orange curriculum is indeed going in a more progressive direction. And so we talked about that. That episode just came out this past Wednesday. I really want to urge all of my listeners to go and listen to that episode because there is just some really important information. If you are a church leader, I would just really ask you to listen to it with an open mind. Maybe your church uses Orange Curriculum, and uh, it's something that maybe you adapt or you you do it in a certain way. I, I just want to ask you to have an open mind and listen to this podcast because it's really important to understand the people that are behind it, the messages that they are promoting to our kids. Orange Curriculum probably reaches more Christian kids than maybe any other organization because it's used uh, in so many churches. So again, please go and listen to that last episode of the Unshaken Faith podcast about the Orange Curriculum. And speaking of Unshaken, we're so excited. It's only a couple weeks away, guys. We're coming to Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, Natasha Crane, Frank Turek, and myself. We're going to be bringing the Unshaken Conference to you. We've already done one event in Dayton, Ohio, and it was amazing. So excited to be with all my Southern California friends. Can I just ask you for a favor? If you are in the Southern California area, now is the time to talk to your pastors or maybe invite your friends, let your friends know about the Unshaken Conference that's coming to Chino Hills. It would be so helpful if you even shared unshakenconference.com on your social media. Tell your friends why you want to go, why they should go, and maybe invite some people to join you. Make it a, a day of hanging out together and getting some good truth. We'd love to equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you into this conversation that I had 
with Dan Kimball, some things that really stood out to me about this conversation was just Dan's time-tested wisdom. What a lot of us are experiencing today with our churches maybe leaning more progressive Christian, we don't really know exactly what to do, we don't know how to approach topics like unity, maybe we're struggling through how to navigate some of this stuff, we are going to get to hear from somebody who's already been through it. And that's why I value Dan's wisdom so much on this, because he's already been through this with the emergent church. So he sees it very clearly as it's sort of um, reanimated as the progressive Christian movement. He gets it, and he's got so much wisdom to give us about how to navigate these things because he went through it very personally. I particularly loved his comments on unity and what it means to be unified for the Christian and when it's actually righteous and good to disunify, to actually not have unity, to say, look, we can't agree to disagree. Um, another standout for me in this conversation was near the end— when I asked him, what would you say if you had a room full of pastors right now? And he gave such great advice and some really insightful comments about that. Even uh, particularly what stood out to me is when he said that there has never been a time in American history when it's been more important for church leadership, and I, I think lay Christians as well, to be theologically astute, to know what we believe, know why we believe it, and be able to communicate that. So I know you're going to get so much out of this conversation, as I did, and just excited for you to get to meet my friend Dan Kimball. Well, Dan, I'm so thrilled to have you on. I've wanted to have you on for a long time. Uh, many people may not be familiar with your story. You reached out to me fairly early in my blogging career, my podcasting career, with some encouragement because you have actually walked this road before. You've you've been through this before. Uh, my story of encountering a progressive pastor in a church that was not yet declaring itself to be progressive. This was just a non-denominational evangelical church, and um, I didn't realize where this was all heading, but you had been through that before with the Emergent Church. So I'd love just to start by you sharing your story. How Tell us a little bit about the history of the Emergent Church and how you came to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, well, starting off, I guess, from uh, it's kind of this part of the story, actually, like I, I wasn't raised a Christian. Um, I probably believed in God of some sort, so but I never I wasn't an atheist or anything. And then uh, my in college, it was just one of these things where I'm like, is God real and all of that, and started reading, like research, research, read. I was just wondering, is Christianity true? And I had no reason for doing it. My my friends weren't Christians. Nobody was telling me to. But what occurred was, and this will get to the what I want to say is that I had some friends who um, cared about me and they saw me reading Christian literature and they had sort of an unplanned intervention with me. And they said, we're worried about you um, because uh, you're starting to like, you have a Bible, you're having these books and stuff and we don't want you to like be joining a cult or something. And I remember hearing that, I'm like, they're concerned about me. Like, well, how do I know Christianity is not a cult? Like people in cults don't think they're in cults. Right. And it got me more like thinking through constantly, like, all right, they, they have good questions. They're asking questions out of sincerity. And then eventually, uh, you know, as we talked earlier, I was in a band and I became a Christian in London, England, when I was playing this band through a small little Bible church there. And then when I moved back to the States, um, everything about me was if Christianity is true, if Jesus is real and the gospel is true, we have to tell people. I'm just like, it's madness. that we have. And that was a compelling we have to tell people, if this is true, I can't believe it. I didn't know about it. Jesus is real. And it was, uh, and so from very early on, and it was drumming when I started in a choir and a church and started saying anything possible to let people know about the true gospel uh, and about forgiveness and lives being changed and what is what the purpose of life. And that got me into ministry, uh, volunteered, got on staff through volunteering and eventually, and then started seeing, this was known as Generation X back then. Um, and it was, this was the uh, late 1990s, early 2000s, so like you know, it's 20 years ago. Yeah. And a lot of us were very focused. I was leading a young adult ministry. It grew to like 800 to 1,000 young adults at the time. 
And, uh, and it got me hooked up with other leaders around the country that were focusing on Generation X. And it was like, you know, if Christianity is true, if Jesus is real, we have to let them know. Mm-hmm. And it was a compelling, that's what compels me to this day, how we have to let others know about the, the, about the true Jesus because of so many mixed up opinions about it or false understandings or things. So this, in, the, in the rallying to try to reach Generation X, there were some organizations such as Leadership Network, which was networking leaders around the country that, were in, that had common Let's Reach Generation X. Um, and through them, Leadership Network's tagline was Leadership Network's Advanced Scouts for the Emerging Church. That was their tagline at the time. Mm-hmm. And so the word emerging church started getting used, like uh, what's happening in the emerging church? How do we reach the emerging generation? And, um, and that's when I started meeting other leaders that started writing books together. Um, but, and, then, and then a subgroup started a group called Emergent. And it was just about new growth. It was kind of like new growth. And those words became interchangeable, emerging, emergent. And at first, it was all about reaching Generation X. Um, this sounds cliche, you know, the message stays the same but the methods change mm-hmm. and that was, and that was it, you know, cause it was kind of like the seeker movement was happening and younger generations were in connecting with that and rethinking how we go about church and ministry for the next generation. How do we reach the emerging generation? And that was my entry into the emerging church world was about reaching generation X back then with the gospel. And that, that's where I met all these people and events happen and all that stuff. So, you know, I remember when this was going on, I, in fact, I had some people I was talking to just about some of the things I was going through. This was, I think, before I had landed at the church that would end up progressive, but I was going to this, um, I don't know what you would call it. It was like this place where you could go and you could talk to people. It was like a networking thing for artists and things like that in the music industry, because I was in the music industry at the time. And I remember talking to somebody and and I was having this burst of songs that I was writing and they were so different. It was like almost like I was having this awakening, but it wasn't a good awakening. This was like what was setting me up to be able to um, be vulnerable to the progressive theology. And I remember somebody saying to me, well, yeah, because you there's a there's a postmodern correction that's being made to the church and it's a good thing. And that's what you're experiencing. And I remember like half of me thought, well, that kind of sounds good. I didn't know what postmodernism was back then. But the other half of me was like, that does not actually sound good. <laughs> and I was kind of confused right. by it. So it was like when this, but that word was around the emerging church, the emergent church, and everybody was really excited about it. So you ended up getting tied in fairly close with a lot of the very prominent leaders of the emergent church. How did that happen? Because uh, I want to go through your story a little bit, because today we're going to be talking about unity. Uh, one of the number one questions I receive when I'm through email or just when I'm at a com- conference is, you know, what do I do when I see red flags in my church? I, I want unity and I don't want to be divisive, but what do I do when I see things that seem to be concerning. And so I want to talk about that because you have walked this road and and especially those things can be complicated when it's in relationship. So how did you get connected with some of those prominent leaders? And then when did you start seeing some red flags and what were they? Yeah, well, what occurred was because at the time, again, as we go through cycles of uh, evangelical Christianity and different focuses and terminologies that will happen over time, um, with the generation, the Gen X time period, what what happened was like Leadership Network started looking for leaders that were um, having fruit, you could say, mm-hmm. with the Generation X. And then they'd bring us together and uh, like, wow, this is going on in Seattle. This is going on in uh, in Dallas. This is going on in different parts of the country and bringing can these I, leaders. Can I ask you a clarifying <laughs> question really quick? How did they define fruit? Well, I would say now, okay, this is an excellent question because you have to define fruit. Fruit at the time, and this is what I'll say, language was import, is important because words have different meanings. What I think was going on in the beginning was, you know, you would say the gospel, and then you'd, you'd, you'd assume everybody was thinking the same definition. Mm-hmm. You know, you would say, you could say Jesus, and it could be a different definition, salvation, uh, repentance, like 
all of these different words, what you, unless you start asking the definitions, you may be talking about something very different. So the fruit, to put it, I mean, I'm not saying this was a, a great way to look at it, but it was like, you know, all of a sudden in Seattle, there's this uh, church growing to, you know, 800,000 young adults, you know, in Santa Cruz, we had 800,000 young adults, we, you know, in Texas, like, so the fruit was primarily growth in a generation that was starting to reject the church at that time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but it was like you're seeing, you know, growth and things happening in various places. So the leaders got together. And then, of course, in the publishing world, um, I was speaking at an event, you know, because then you start speaking at events and those things. And then I was approached by um, a publisher and uh, said, like, hey, do you want to uh, be interested in writing? And took pretty much what I was teaching about and turned it into the first book, The Emerging Church. And the subtitle was Vintage Christianity for New Generations. Again, it was um, what we, we need to reach the next generation uh, and uh, and look at what are the methods that need to be changing because there's certain value changing or how we're communicating or or certain things. So, and that's what was fascinating was that, you know, say like at the seeker time period, like all the lights were bright. Um, Rick Warren wrote the forward for the for the book. And uh, back then, that was like right in the heyday of, mm-hmm. well, I mean, Saddleback mm-hmm. still is a heyday, but it was, uh, you know, he's like, the light should be bright. And I was saying the light should be dark, you know, because mm-hmm. there was sort of like, instead of someone said at the time, the church felt like Tony Robbins seminar with Bible verses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so like the generation X at that time was like, let's darken things. Let's make it more um, you know, spiritual. Uh, and it was kind of a, a reaction to that time. But that's how I got to know a whole bunch of people because we're all in it to reach the next generation. And that's where the publishing world got involved and events and, uh, you know, the, the emerging, emergent church conversation, or it made the cover of Christianity Today. It was the cover of uh, New York Times. You know, it got very popular as a topic in that season because it was a, a reaction to the seeker movement overall, mm. I would say, and a missing generation. That's so interesting to me because the seeker movement seems stronger than ever now. And yet yeah. that was the reaction. Well, the seeker movement is still there, but it's it's now now you look like it's like a more of a concert, uh, mm-hmm. dark lights. You know, if you know, going back to the early nineties, everything was lit up. You know, it was like the tonight show with Jay Leno. And and so it was still the seeker movement. um, But it was for the younger, right, the younger generation at that time, everything's, we exist in a cultural surround cultural, there's cultures, you know, but uh, these movements are birthed due to certain, um, you know, cultural moments and reactions to certain things like music, you know, music develops in certain cultural pockets for certain reasons. And I think various aspects in the church over time happen due to cultural surroundings. Postmodernism was impacting life in general. You know, yeah. I, you, I mean, um, you're younger, uh, you know, but I remember when Madonna's album came out and it was music, what makes the world, oh, it's that music, uh, brings the people together. Forget the song. Yeah, but her album cover, together. yeah, that's it. Yeah, brings the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the album cover was her in a Western outfit that's I, right i remember that I remember like now the music was still sort of techno pop but then she was wearing a cowboy outfit now that was like postmodernism in a way because you're bringing in elements that wouldn't necessarily match but all of a sudden it's now moving forward in a way that would not necessarily wouldn't equate those things together before and i think that and that was we're, we're like in a post postmodern everything that's all everything's all mixed up today in that way mm-hmm. but that that affects things that affects communication and how churches were working but back to your original question was the emerging church and emergent groups got together originally at a heart for reaching the next generation for sure that was what it was about that is why i was in it that's why some of my uh, friends were in it it was like we have to tell the next generation about jesus and maybe we're going to darken the lights the the joke, candle and couches, um, more dialogue, different forms, but the gospel message was still the same. 
So when did you start to see red flags and what, what did they look like? Yeah. All right. Now this is important. Like, because back then, you know, I'm going back 20 years. So when you go back 20 years, someone that's, you know, 25 years old today or something like they, they don't understand the church world back in 25 years. Now they have forms of church today, but 25 years ago, I mean, the, um, the news came out. I remember the, the local ABC news came to our, our church with young adults because we had candles and coffee inside the sanctuary and they did a whole thing on it. Like that was so unheard of at the time. <laughs> so what was, um, so I'm saying all of that because back then um, it was all within the, the forms of, of Bible teaching. Uh, it's hard to even use the word evangelical anymore because it's it, the original meaning of evangelical quickly was like between liberalism and fundamentalism, evangelical in the middle. Now it's, now it means it's tied in with politics and all of this, yeah, yeah. but the original group was solid folks um, though the forms were different, we were we were um, focusing on the true gospel and Jesus and repentance and salvation and all of that. However, um, it was all within the safety, I don't know if the word safety, with the expectations we all agreed on the basics of, of faith. And it was within the publishing world, it was within the, uh, the, the, the churches and the conferences, there was sort of an everybody just there's expectation that that's what we all believed there was always liberal churches and there's always fundamental churches but we didn't uh, i didn't realize that um so when you talk about liberal churches that was another group that wasn't this group mm -hmm. uh and so what started happening that's why i think it was confusing and drew so many people into it because you'd be using terminology and language and everybody wanted to reach the next generation but when you started exploring the definitions, all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, that's not the Jesus of the scriptures, or wait a minute, um, you can't, there's not like many ways to, to God and salvation. And like, and so what occurred, it was because it was within, if that makes sense, it mm -hmm. became more confusing to people because there was sort of a trust there. Mm. Um, and, and when I started noticing it, um, I was pretty, I'm, being honest, I was like pretty naive because I'm just like, we're all in this together. And we were at an event in San Diego. I can still remember this. And a well-known theologian uh, who I've become good friends with came over um, and he sat, he, I didn't know who he was. I knew, knew who he was, but I didn't know him personally. And he's like, can I meet with you, Dan? And, and he's like, um, hey, I want to just let you know something. You're a fundamentalist compared to these guys that you're hanging out with. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean? Um, and he just started going through church history, uh, early church history, church history. He started breaking things down and he just said the trajectory of what's being talked about is going straight into very liberal direction, all different types of uh, uh, definitions. You're using the right language, but different definitions. Mm -hmm. And it was an intentional uh, teaching towards a different form of what what you know what you could say i don't even like saying christianity you know different form mm -hmm. of understanding god jesus and salvation but i was not i was like uh i guess kind of so trusting and like we're all reaching the next generation i didn't yeah. think about that stuff mm -hmm. and this fellow uh i'm getting emotional thinking about it because he's really uh um really i'm so glad he met with me because when he said that it was kind of shocking i can still remember the table the sunshine at that that hotel in San Diego. And, um, and then I'm like, is this true? And so I started having to have, uh, I went and had private conversations with many of the, the leaders that were known at that time to find out if what my friend, my theologian friend said was true. Um, and I just said, I'm not gonna, you know, um, this was before many of the leaders now are all public about their beliefs, but this was when it wasn't. Right. And I said, I want to ask you about um, what is your view of scripture? When you're saying inspired, what does that mean? Um, one person looked at a magazine that was in a hotel room. We were talking and he's like, it's like that, that magazine's inspired. Mm. And I'm mm. like, well, how does that mean the scripture? And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, like you're using a word 
but you're saying a magazine is inspired in the same way as the scriptures are, telling a story. Uh, I asked about what happens when we die. Um, is there a heaven, a hell? What do you think? And I learned, you know, like, um, you know, I, I, it was more the, what's now known, more of the, you know, universalism and all of that. I asked about sexuality. I asked about, uh, what's the fourth one? I had four questions. Um, I asked them to define sin. And all I'll say is that my friend was right, and I didn't realize that was there. And that was a really big, uh, not all of them, but several of them, I'm like, I, I did not know that. And, um, and that was, and these were friends. So these were not, you know, these were not just strangers. I'd see them all the time. All right. Well, I want to tell you about our first sponsor today, and that is Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is American meat delivered right to your door. And this isn't just any meat. This is high-quality grass-fed beef, better than organic chicken. And I want to specifically tell you about the pork today because if you subscribe in the month of April— you're going to get free bacon for a year. If you read my book, Another Gospel, you know that I love bacon. And so this is such good quality bacon. So in the factory farms, often the pigs are kept in crates. But in the Good Ranchers network, those pigs are never put in crates. Um, they never use antibiotics. They never use hormones. And the pork is from heritage breeds, which have historically produced the best pork in the world. So this is excellent bacon, top-notch, high quality. So if you go to Good Ranchers, com. You subscribe in the month of April, you're going to get free bacon for a year. That's a $240 value over the year. If you use the discount code ALISA, you're going to get $20 off your order. So uh, just go to GoodRanchers.com. Give them a try. We love it. We've got a freezer full of triple trimmed chicken. We've got um, some amazing, beautiful steaks. We've got all sorts of stuff from Good Ranchers. We love it. It makes preparing your dinner so easy. I don't even have to think about it. I just pull something out, thaw it out, and cook it up, and it is so good. And Good Ranchers are Christian people. They have good biblical values. I just love it. Let's support them. Go to GoodRanchers.com, get free bacon for a year, and use the code ALISA for $20 off your order. Yeah, and what our audience needs to understand is we're not naming names today, but these are people that went on to become major leaders of this movement and of progressive Christianity and people that were writing books and thought leaders. And this was a really tough spot to be in for you, Dan. I, I want to highlight what you said about language and using the same words but a different dictionary, right? Because that is what I think can be so confusing for people. That is what was so confusing for me. So when I was in my class at the church that would end up becoming progressive, lots of people already were progressive. I just didn't know it at the time, is they were using language in a double way, that inspiration thing that hits me right between the eyes, because that was exactly the types of conversations I would have with people where you'd say, do you believe the Bible is divinely inspired? And they'd say, absolutely. And then when you ask for further clarification, whether that's then and there or two or three months down the road, they say, well, yeah, I mean, it's inspired like uh, like an A.W. Tozer book or like a C.S. Lewis book. It's yeah, it, right. God uses it to inspire you. So you realize that you're having a conversation, but you're using very different language. I, I remember uh, the pastor saying that in the, Wednesday, in the Wednesday class that I was in that was kind of real super exclusive and we weren't really supposed to talk outside of the class what we were talking about inside, where he, he was saying he didn't believe Adam and Eve were real people and, you know, he had all of these beliefs, but but then when he would preach on Sunday morning, he specifically preached from Genesis and said, you know, people ask me if this story is real. And he said, it's real because I've lived it. Now, what he meant was he had lived the, the moral tale. And mm -hmm. so even somebody else who I had been talking with, because we were like, well, is this okay to believe? Is it not? Okay? We were trying to wrestle through these things. When he said that, she said, oh, he believes it's real. And she she interpreted what he was saying to mean that he was affirming like a literal Adam and Eve or something like that. But that's not at all what he was talking about. So it's like this double use of language. And that can be so tricky for people, can't it? Yeah, no, that absolutely. I mean, it's just like, you know, if you talk to a Mormon, like Mormons uh, at a surface level, we use very, a lot of the same language. So I wouldn't, I didn't think that was necessary back then. And now it's critically, you know, critically mm -hmm. important. And so... Uh, 
Um, yeah, so that and that's when I became, you know, when you're asking just like, all right, hey, I have different beliefs than, you know, some of these some of these folks. And, and they and they knew I had different beliefs uh, at that time as well. Um, you know, and for me, you know, I, I've shared this with you before. At that time, I then had to make a decision of um, I ended up, you know, because at that time I was speaking a lot of different places and, and everything. And I actually uh, I, I canceled or I pulled out of two, three different events that I was going to be speaking at and um, and stopped doing events because I didn't I never wanted someone um, to possibly think I was endorsing something mm. that was leading to something that I didn't believe is true in the scriptures. I'm not talking about like Moses baptism. I'm going to think like right. various views of the end times, th those things. Uh, I'm talking about fundamentally a fundamental understanding of the scriptures and how we look at them and what is the scriptures. And because that's where it all really comes from is mm -hmm. what is the scriptures? Is it truly Holy Spirit inspired 100% in the originals? And are we looking at it like that? And that's the starting point. And if you don't have that as your you know, your baseline, then you can come up with all kinds of different other things. And, you know, and I still, I still have, um, you know, I can still feel sometimes bad about ever wanting to miss unintentionally mislead people into, um, in, into, you know, ways that would not be, you know, I say gospel centered. So, so that's for me, it, I remember I was, I'd say like, am I choosing, you know, Christ over relationships, you know, it, it was not an easy little, little time in, in that way. And these are, I mean, you know, I'm saying these are, these were, we had so much fun together. Like it was like yeah. fun. And I still, there were uh, loving and kind people and they're friends, you know, so they were uh, uh, smart, you know, all of these things. So, um, but I realized I believed in a different, uh, I say this, no, not like it was a different Jesus in many ways. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, I, I removed myself from that particular group at that time. So. Well, as I talk with Dan, I can't help but think how important ministries like Impact 360 are. As we're talking about with Dan, there is TikTok uh, accounts that are basically exist to lead people away from Christianity and to portray Christian theology as abusive and as toxic. And so today's teens are growing up in an entirely different world. So Gen Z, these are kids born between 1999 and 2015. They are the first truly post-Christian generation. For Gen Z, the word atheist is not a dirty word anymore, and truth is relative, and it's even harder to confidently answer the biggest questions of life. So the question I get all the time when I speak at conferences is how can I prepare my kids to live according to biblical truth in a culture that uh, is just really chaotic and seems to disciple them into and out, like into false ideas and out of Christianity. So Impact 360 is coming alongside to help you with life-changing experiences for young people. So there's the one-week Propel experience. If you're looking for a summer camp to send your kids to, this is the one I would recommend for you. Propel still has some spots open for this summer. There's also Immersion, which is a two-week experience, and then a nine-month gap year program. I teach at all three experiences. So if you send your young person there, I will get to meet them and teach them and hopefully help equip them to live biblical truth in a really, really chaotic culture. So go to impact360.org. Use the code podcast for $50 off. That's impact360.org. Use the code podcast. Yeah, I, I remember when we left the church and we met with the pastor, what was really interesting is the church was having a lots of conversations around sexuality, and the church was having conversations like, are we going to change our position on LGBTQ? And there was all these discussions going on. And so when my husband and I met with the pastor, I remember him saying, are you leaving because of these conversations? And I said, actually, no, that's actually not why we're leaving. We're leaving because we're not having those conversations based on the authority of Scripture. I said, right. it's, it, we believe in the authority of Scripture, so we, we can have any debate you want to have if that's our standard. But if that's not the standard by which we're having the conversation, then we're not even playing 
baseball in the same ballpark. And and he said, yeah, I don't believe the, the, the scriptures are authoritative. So it was sort of like, I mean, there's just what more conversation can you have after that? And that, and that is so difficult when there's relationships involved, when these are your friends. And I, I can't imagine how difficult that was for you, especially with having to consider the speaking events that you had coming up and the alliances that you had with different people. Um, what did what did that feel like for you? That had to be that had to be very very difficult. Yeah, I mean it was because then it was. Um, well, I had two reactions. One, it was just sad because they're really they're they're still thinking of that. We had like wonderful times together. Like you know, not talking about necessarily Bible things, but traveling and doing things together. Um, and so that was kind of a hard. The relationships was difficult in in that part of separating to use the word you know in that way uh, but then it was also a an alarming a, a very alarming because i realized i was not thinking critically through layers of, of things at that time and mm -hmm. i was so you know i was not thinking through definitions i was not thinking through well if you believe this what's going to lead to this i was not thinking through some of the even the you know the terms of like that sounds so nice in the beginning, like um, terminology, and I still hear about this today, you know, terminology like, you know, I just, I, my foundation is on Jesus, not on the scriptures. Now, I understand that, like, no, it is on Jesus, right? Not the scriptures, but where do we have most of our information about Jesus? It's from the scriptures. And if you're not grounding yourself in the Jesus of the scriptures, um, you know, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's, you know, it all, I always say, like, it all points to Jesus in the storyline. Um, but if we're, you can't ground yourself in, in Jesus. And that's why I think what's happening is if we're not grounding ourselves foundationally in the scriptures, you don't worship the scriptures, they're not, you know, all mm -hmm. of these criticisms. Mm -hmm. It's like almost a mocking if you take the Bible so, so seriously. Yeah. Uh, you're worshiping the Bible, not Jesus. I'm like, no. But the Holy Spirit of God wrote the scriptures through people and then to know who Jesus is. And so I'm going to be diving into the scriptures so I know this Jesus. And I think what's happening today, or no, I, I don't think, I know, it's like people are talking about Jesus, but then it's this one that we kind of can make up. Or, you That's know, right. And we all of a sudden have, and we think it's but uh, real or something. And I know I don't want to disrespect people that haven't thought this through. But I, I think, you know, the red letter Christian type of thinking, I think that's actually very, uh, I, don't, I don't know if the word is harmful. I think it's very, um, it, it sounds nice. I want to just focus on the words of Jesus. But Jesus wasn't a red, red letter Christian. He was, right. he knew the entire whole Testament. He empowered or he, he appeared to Paul and his spirit to say the ministry is continuing. Paul was commissioned by Jesus. The rest of the New Testament is just as important as Jesus's words. It's all together. But the language today can be very like, you know, tricky. Like, well, I just want to focus on Jesus, not not those other things. And then you're, we, we are creating a Jesus that's not real. Or mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a partial Jesus. And, um, and that's kind of what I just see, you know, over and over and over again today. So what was the cost for you? I know that this was an incredibly difficult decision. It uprooted your life, your vocation. Talk about the cost and how you kind of navigated that even relationally with your friends and with maybe some of the pushback you received from other people. Yeah. Well, I remember that whole time when that happened. I'm like, now what do I do? I can still remember this like, okay. Um, and it was like, same thing. We got to get the message out. Um, you know, and uh, there's a real Jesus and we want to keep telling people about it. And I was in a church, it was called Santa Cruz Bible Church. It was, you know, it was somewhat Dallas Seminary kind of a church there. And then we ended up planting a new church, Vintage Faith Church. 18 years ago, we planted it. Um, and like, let's, we want to be up by the university. Let's keep that going. And then I just started through the natural relationships, finding others that were in commonality. Um, and then in the Bay Area, you know, we're like, we need to making sure people. So we started that event that you spoke at, the Regeneration mm -hmm. Forum. Mm -hmm. And it was encouraging because all of a sudden, you know, the first one, there's like, I don't know, 200 people. And then it's been selling out the past couple of years at 800 people. And uh, and it shows there's an interest in this. So uh, and, 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 and what what is truth? What isn't truth? And um, 
And so that's what I ended up focusing on was kind of had a renewed energy to make sure that we are telling people and almost looking ahead, what are the confusing points and then addressing them so younger generations won't end up doing what I did, you know, mm. and, uh, because, you know, you look at the scriptures over and over again, and looking at one now, I love this verse I use all the time, you know, it's out of ju judges, you know, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord, um, nor what he had done. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, and then they forsook the, the Lord God of their ancestors. Because what you have is you have a generation that didn't know God too much, maybe a surface understanding. Then they're coming up, and then they still want something. But then, like, as the Israelites here, they begin worshiping false gods. Uh, and I think that's what's going on today. Mm. And that motivates the core of my being to do anything possible to try to help people um, know, know that. And I know that's what you're about as well. Um, well, I love I love your heart and your faithfulness and all of that. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the most common questions I receive is, how, you know, how do you know when it's time to leave? How do you know when it's time to move on and to even start warning others? I wonder how you navigated that. What was the you know proverbial straw that broke the camel's back for you, where you knew, okay, this has gone too far. I can't be affiliated with this anymore. It was when I when I started hearing um, the different understanding and view of what the scriptures are, mm. uh, and that was one point. I keep coming back to that because that's, that's good, so yeah. critical. Because there there are good reasons people have different interpretations of various end times things. Like you know, there's credible, wonderful scholars who have differences of opinion on those. I just wish we shouldn't fight about those things today. Yeah, you know, you know like those are so peripheral. So, but for me, a, a, a leaving point, and this would encourage anybody, is when you start seeing what is the usage of the scriptures, what is the viewpoint of the scriptures, you know, don't just say they're inspired, or what does that mean? Like, you know, mm -hmm. what does that mean to them? And uh, and that to me is, a, um, I mean, you still gonna be friends with people, but if you're partnering in ministry or placing yourself in a local church, I mean, that is so, so important. Um, is that's a big starting point. And then from there, you know, what are these main beliefs about gospel, Jesus, salvation? Um, you know, now we have to be asking, which maybe more you didn't before, you know, about sexuality questions, you know, what are the, all of these things, because it all stems from the scriptures and then see. And, um, you know, so, and that's, I, we don't, it, it's too tricky in that, like I've, I've pulled this out because I was going to talk to you. I forgot about it. I was going to show you this. There's, uh, I know people listening, there's a book that came out years ago called Awkward Moments Children's Bible. <laughs> Have you ever heard of this? No, but it sounds All right. amazing. <laughs> All right. So can, if you, for those that can't see this, it's on the cover is Noah's Ark, and then you'll see all the dead people floating, but it's written, it's drawn up like a child's, you know. Like yeah, a it's like book. this, yeah, real cartoony Floating yep. zoo um, picture with dead bodies floating in the water. And then inside, they take a Bible verse, one Bible verse, and then they draw pictures of it. And there'll be things like, you know, all of the strange, bizarre Bible verses and a lot of the violent ones. And, and then they'll draw a graphic photo. But the back of this book, um, you know, it, it basically says uh, um, what it is, is most people are raised in the faith by their family, young kids learned a few Bible verses taken out of context and, uh, context and accepted them without question. After decades of repetition and tradition, they understand we might put up beliefs on autopilot and just not as the pastor repeats verses. And then it says uh, that there's, I'm sorry, um, come to, it's no wonder that recent studies show an incredible lack of biblical knowledge among Christians. 55% are unable to even name the four gospels. Um, and it says, our goal, to get people to really read their Bibles and think for themselves. And we hope these illustrations and commentary will encourage readers to really read the Bible for themselves. And this guy's an atheist. Wow. So what you have is an atheist who is, um, he wasn't evangelical and he let, ended up contacting him and, and things. But what, and that got me thinking like, what's happening? First it came out in books, then it's on memes, then it's in TikTok. Because mm -hmm. there's so much critique about Bible today, 
And that's why I keep saying if the Bible is eroded and not seen as a confident, the scriptures are there, then everything becomes subjective in that way. Um, and so that is, that's always my big question for anyone is what's your view of the scriptures? Because that comes out later. And this stuff, fool, it was fooling, it's fool's people. I understand. Mm -hmm. I, if I was nominal, I'd be like, I didn't know that. Day, I, I, I don't even want to mm -hmm. say what's in here. You know, but yeah. really graphic string. You know, you're going to sell your slavery, your daughter to slavery, the passage right. out of Exodus. And then he has a guy get, getting money in a van, you know, like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like a kid's cartoon. Right? Yeah. Um, but it, to me, it comes back to that for sure. You know, I'd just say, and in churches that shift, I would, if I'm in a church, if I ever did it to anyone in our church, I would, I would, I, I say it even to like leave. If I'm ever saying something, like get out of here. If I'm ever saying mm -hmm. anything, that's not like that. Because uh, it happens and it's happening more and more. I'm curious, that Awkward Moments Bible, is that one of the things that inspired you to write your book, How Not to Read the Bible? Yeah, well, it was, it was bubbling up. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I saw this whenever this came out. And it's done really creatively, you know, so it's not, it's done super well. And, uh, and what's, what, what got me there was I'm in, I've been in uh, church ministry long enough where people didn't have access to those verses before. There was one, I was mm -hmm. once speaking at our church years ago and uh, someone started emailing me questions. Like I'd mentioned something and like, well, Leviticus, what about like the slavery passages? And I'd take all this time and write back. And then have another one and I get another question. And um, this guy named Brad, that's his name. And finally, I'm like, I can't keep answering your very obscure Bible questions mm -hmm. about violence mm -hmm. and slavery. And so we met and it was a junior hire. And I can still oh. remember like, you're Brad? Um, and, uh, and he's like, yep. And it turned out that he found a, a website called evilbible.com. It's oh, still yeah. out there. Yeah. And he found that website and then he had access instantly to pulling out these Bible verses about slavery, all of, you know, all of these different things that were then he was reading and then he was sending me these things. I'm like, that's where he got this. But was kind of stunning at the time was like, it was a junior hire. This was before iPhones. So you had to like still go on your computer back then. But it was, uh, then I'm like, boy, this information is getting out to kids. And so, yeah. Uh, and these now it's always in the Bible, so nothing we have to be ashamed of. It's in the scriptures, but it, it wasn't as those things were being brought to the surface. And then starting seeing people getting disillusioned, backing out of faith. I can't believe God killed people. I can't believe mm -hmm. these verses about, you know, taking pleasure and dashing babies against rocks and slavery and all of these. And women don't speak in churches and having that brought to the surface and then seeing that used as reasons to leave faith. Um, and that's why I ended up writing How Not to Read the Bible book, because it was responding to a lot of those questions about the Bible. Um, yeah, you deal to, with yeah. a lot of tough, tough passages in that book. And uh, I, that I commend you for that. Also, the thing that's cool about your book is that you have memes. You have actual memes from the internet. I don't know how you manage to do that with licensing or however that stuff works, but uh, all of the the different things you go through, there's there's memes like graphics that that you will likely encounter on Instagram and on, on different things. So uh, I also just want to point out, I always like to give my audience good resources, um, aside from Dan's book, um, How Not to Read the Bible. Did I say that right? That's correct, right? How Not to Read yeah. the Bible? Yeah, the subtitle is long, but it's intentional. It's, okay. Um, yeah, making sense of the anti-women, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy-sounding parts of Scripture. So yeah, it was just pulling out what are the big issues, yeah. especially that younger people are f being confronted with on on memes, TikTok, and all that, and then addressing them head on. Yeah, very good. Well, the other resource I wanted to uh, send our audience to is if you go way, way back, for anybody listening or watching, if you go way back into the archives, I interviewed Jean E. Jones, and she's the wife of Clay Jones, who's a Biola professor, and Jeannie is brilliant. And she has a Bible study called Finding Hope in the Psalms. And I interviewed her about that, and I asked her, it's one of the best explanations I've ever heard of somebody uh, explaining what was going on in the Dashing Babies passage. <laughs> so our audience can 
go back into the archives. She gave such a great answer to, you know, what to make of that. Because I, I mean, I get it, Dan. I, our our kids can be reading through the Bible. I remember specifically someone in my life who was reading through the Old Testament, and they got to the passage about the man with the concubine. Who, um, it's a horrific story. And if you don't have some really basic tools on how to interpret some of that stuff, meaning like one of the main things would be that not every thing recorded in scripture is something that God is promoting or telling you that is descriptive for your behavior. It could just be describing something that happened in history. Some, you know, the course the Bible records people doing greatly evil things that were in contradiction to God's law. And so not everything you read in the Bible is something God is wanting you to do. I, th- I mean, just little tools like that, that maybe people don't know. I didn't really have a lot of those tools growing up. And um, those things can be really helpful. But I want to talk about about unity, because I can imagine, I, mean, I can just hear it in my head, that when you had to part ways from your ministry partners and even had to cancel some speaking events, there was probably some pushback where people were saying, well, you're, you're being divisive. You know, the, it's most important that we be unified. Talk about unity a little bit, because I know that's something that if, you know, as someone who has the type of ministry that's kind of saying, hey, guys, you know, pay attention over here, and maybe we should be thinking this through, uh, you can often get get accused of being divisive and people say, come on, we need to be unified and the world's watching. And if, if we're criticizing each other or saying, hey, you know, maybe we should think more biblically on this point or that point, then you're not promoting unity. So what are your thoughts on, on that? And did you experience some of that? Yeah, well, again, there's phrases, you know, let's agree to disagree. You know, um, everybody's invited to the, let's, we're all at the same table. Uh, mm. We're in one, one big, one big tent. Uh, you know, so there's these phrases that just sound like that sounds really nice. You know, like one big tent, or like. Uh, however, um, what 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 sounds nice on the surface, you know, and of course, unity. The church is supposed to have unity. They're not, you know, the the church Christians unity with each other. But when you when you have unity, you then have to say, what are we uniting around? You know, who are we uniting around? And that's why definitions matter. That's why exploring past the surface level of, of things to go deeper into what is real, what do you really mean by these things? Because what you'll find is very often you might be talking about a very different Jesus. You might be talking about a very different gospel. Um, and when you get to those kind of central issues, that's a different tent, right? It's not yeah. the same tent. We, a we can be. In, yeah. yeah different table it's different legs hopefully have a different table and you know so when you're talking about unity you know charismatic uh you know i guess it depends on what extremes there's always extremes but you know average yeah. charismatic whether you are um you know infant baptism adult baptism uh different views of the end times calvinists arminius uh women in leadership like there's different things like all right we have some differences but you know what we're still united and there's some good reasons scholarly for having those differences. We're all yeah. still in the same tent, right? We'd still define the gospel the same. We'd still define what the scriptures are the same. And maybe there's some differences of conclusions by brilliant people who have differences of opinions on certain things. It's still the same tent, right? Yeah. That's unity. Yeah. But when you start saying, well, there's a Jesus who may or may not have been resurrected from the dead. It might have just been his teachings or, uh, you know, or... Um, you know, the, the scriptures are inspired, but they're totally wrong in places. And the Israelites made up these stories about God to, you know, to impress other nations around them. Um, you start like, wait a minute, so the Bible's like a different Bible? So like, you move into that, that's a different tent, because then you'll come to all different kinds of conclusions. That's a different table. So I think we have to be careful for the sake of unity that we're not that we are united around the right things you know you uh you know so that's that's really important but again phraseology right like you know let's reach the next generation like all right the bible's inspired you but what does that mean and so or agree to disagree that's used a lot mm-hmm. we'll agree to disagree mm-hmm. some things you have to say no i'm not going to agree to disagree you're wrong like you know there's yeah. some things where you can agree to disagree i'll, I'll agree to disagree about end times views, you know, creation views, like, we'll agree to disagree. But you start talking about the serious issues. You start talking about the acts of the flesh versus the acts of the spirit. What's God in, what's God in approval for? What, um, what do you see, 
you know, because there's doctrine and there's lifestyle that comes. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. just doctrine. Um, the doctrine, you know, teaches about lifestyle, all types of things. So, in fact, with the cohort with Western Seminary that I was talking about this morning, this came up. We ended up talking for 90 minutes about this. It was supposed to be an hour. But the topic came up of gossip, using something simple. All right. So I'm in a church and I'm teaching in the church. Gossip is a value that God would be behind. Like God loves gossip. It's okay to gossip, right? So, um, so Ken, let's have, if you don't think so, we'll have unity over that. Uh, and I'm like, no, you can't. That's such a clear teaching in scripture yeah. that how can you have unity over gossip, right? It's not, um, it, it's so clear. So how do you unify around that? Like if you're teaching that that's what Jesus would want, then I'm like, that's a different Jesus. It, then, or else Jesus is then lying. You know, he's either, you'd be lying saying gossip is good or lying not. So I'm raising this up just because then you have to ask these definitions. And I think uni we want to see love and unity among churches. I think, I think it's like whack, whacked, whacked, it's whacked. I think it's whacked. I, I don't know what that word means, whacked, like uh it's wacky yeah. when churches today are fighting about things like, uh, you know, again, end times view, Calvinism reformed, uh, even the women in ministry issue, even the differences there, you have differences, but you know what? A lot of them still believe in the same inspired authoritative and yeah. scriptures they are coming to don't fight about those things. I'm embarrassed and ashamed at churches when we divide and you may want to have be in a specific local church, Mm -hmm. But don't be slamming other people about these things. That is not unity. I think that's that's terrible and and that's dishonoring in many ways and it's confusing. But when it gets to the gospels, like the actual gospel, and the scriptures, well, how you view the scriptures and salvation and atonement, whatever your view of atonement might be, is it a sacrificial atonement, a blood? It sounds, yeah. you know, it's gory. It is gory. It's blood blood atonement paid for your sin you pull that out it's a different gospel mm -hmm. um, and so that's where you can't have unity that's where i don't agree to disagree on that i would say that is wrong from the scriptures that is so central that's a different table you're at no this is really important you're bringing i'm glad you're bringing this up because when i talk about this to audiences i'll often say too just because something's not a central issue if it's you know something we're not going to divide over doesn't mean it's not important the secondary issues sure. are not unimportant um and someone can even theoretically be an error on something but still be a christian and still be somebody that maybe it's a discipleship issue it's something sure. that you need to be brought along and, and we can talk it through and say look i, I really think you're reading the scriptures right wrong on this and let's discuss it together, but we're not going to divide over it because, you know, we all have strong opinions on what those secondary ones and those third tier issues are. But I, it, I, I'm so glad you keep coming back around to defining terms. Be, and I want to bring something up because, you know, when we think about those core issues that we can't agree to disagree about, I think about Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 when he brings up that creed and he says, this is of utmost importance. And some translations say first importance, like we cannot agree to disagree that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, I'm sorry, that he's buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So you have you have these, these theological beliefs of D Jesus' death. He's not just a moral example. He's not just dying for speaking truth to power. He, there's a sacrificial element that's linked inextricably with the, old, the backdrop of the Old Testament sacrificial system. You cannot divorce that. And then, of course, his burial and his resurrection. And, you know, I, I think about sometimes Christians, and I've talked on the podcast before with Gary Habermas about this, but sometimes Christians will say, well, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's great. But a lot of progressive Christians will say that because they're defining the terms differently. When they say, I believe in the death of Jesus, they might just mean he died because he submitted to our, you know, desire for bloodlust or he wanted to show us what forgiveness looks like. And yeah, he was buried. And maybe they might mean his resurrection was metaphorical or spiritual, or there's a lesson we can learn, but it didn't have to be physical. So we really have to ask those further questions of, you know, it's great that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but what do those things mean. And um, I, I'm glad you keep bringing it back to that. What do you think, um, 
What would your advice be as we kind of come to the close of our conversation here? I'd love for you to talk to pastors. You're a pastor. You're in the midst of a, a bit of a vocation change here. You can tell us about that. But I'd love for you to talk to pastors. Um, like if you could just have a bunch of young pastors in your living room, what would you say to them? Having been through what you've been through, you've walked this path before in, with the emergent church. You're observing this happen again or a continuation of it with progressive Christianity and other sort of false gospels that make their way into the church. What would your word be? Yeah, well, one, of course, you know, walk with the Lord. You're foremost, you know, make sure that you are not neglecting to practice the disciplines yourself. So like one make sure you're caring for yourself and you're walking with the Lord personally, right? So that's a given, but that's the first thing. Um, and the second is, I, and I've said this over and over, I think more so than ever, there's a lot of pressure on churches, a lot of pressure on youth leaders, because it is about like, we have to get more youth in the group. We have to, uh, you know, now there's the comparison of like, we should be doing a better mess with the music. We should have like, you know, all the profiling of different ministries. And there's so much pressure whether it's whether the the lead folks in the churches push it on or, or it's just there of, of numbers and, and different things and the numbers represent souls so I want to say it about numbers but I would say like more than ever you have to develop your skills of communicating and those things I'm talking like to young leaders but I'd say like foremost today you have to be more so thinking theologically you know mm. you have to be taking theology more serious than ever before in american history and that's mm. not an overstatement i don't think ever before in american history the tr christian leaders have to be taking theology more seriously mm. um, because you know again it's not worshiping theology it's not about head knowledge the more we learn about god the more should melt our hearts and to be more worshipers so I'm not talking about knowledge. And there's always been streams of churches that have always taken theology so seriously. So I don't want to say everybody hasn't over time, but the majority of churches, um, I would say we have to really up that. And if I like quoting people, I have my 1962 version of mere Christianity. Um, and I know C.S. Lewis had various interesting beliefs about some things, but he says this about theology. It stuck, sticks in my head. He says, um, in the old days, and he wrote this, this was radio shows in the 40s got turned into the book. So in the old days, when there was less education and discussion, perhaps it was possible to get on with a few simple ideas about God, All right? So think of that, like, you know, the TV's coming into play, more information is coming into the average person's house at that time. Um, it was possible to get on with a few simple ideas about God, but it is not so now. Everybody reads, everybody hears things discussed, Consequently, if you do not listen to theology, that will mean that will not mean that you have no ideas about God. It will mean that you have a lot of wrong ideas, bad, muddled, out of date ideas. For a great many of the ideas about God, which are trotted out as novelties today, are simply the ones which real theologians tried centuries ago and rejected. And I just think that if I'm speaking to young leader, I would say like, we have to be more, uh, you know, taking the scriptures seriously. I mean, everybody was, but I didn't know. You could you could probably go up to the average youth pastor and they'd have no idea who Marcion was in church history, or maybe they've never even, like I say this by knowing this, some have never read through the whole Old Testament. Some don't, you know, that's doctrines. I want to just reach the kids for Jesus. You know, those kids are on TikTok seeing very detailed uh, and very compelling, I shouldn't say right, very compelling, non-detailed, short little video clips saying, how can you believe in a God that wanted blood sacrifice? Mm -hmm. You know, you wouldn't, that's not God, God's love. You know, in a three minute compelling video, like I used, and like, I, maybe I don't believe this. Uh, and so I say what C.S. Lewis's advice was, the more, what would he say today? There's so much information out there. And TikTok has turned into a, training center you know it's not just there's yeah. funny videos and things it's theologically training and i think most a lot of young people are getting their theology primarily from tiktok videos and in the That's years right. of doubt like if i doubt it all or I, which doubt is good like you know if i question things at all in the old days you had to go through so many layers to hear about you know god killing babies and why did he do that and all of these things today it's right there and it's not even just there 
there's a wave of trying to say you you believe you're in a cult it's like my friends 35 years ago that would question me about saying am i in a cult you know the word cult is being used all the time for christians today on mm -hmm. TikTok. so is it like are we in a cult and so i would tell leaders like you have got to be digging deep into knowing what you believe and why and then you have to got to be in addition to all the life practical things about friendship and things that you teach youth and you got to be teaching theology and um i was at i was at scottsdale bible church i was speaking to the interns and the youth leaders there last year and one of them said they just did a 10-week teaching series called um TikTok theology and they oh, yeah. would play a TikTok Good. video and that's they great. teach about it. And I'm like, that's great. You know, so like I think youth leaders should be there at a church, address the issues that are now there before but so that they're not caught off guard. You and I were caught off guard. You know, it seems yeah. like you know that what? Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, uh but if we say, no, there's reasonable explanations for these things. These aren't new, like C.S. Lewis says, all things that are brought up. Um, there's there's good, reasonable responses to these things. And that's why I'm thankful for like you, Sean McDowell, Frank Tur, you know, all the ones that, you know, Natasha, all the ones that are out there on the front lines, helping leaders, equipping them to be able to teach kids, you know, even the parents themselves, how to respond to these questions of today. So that would be my urgent thing for youth leaders. And that's why you mentioned my vocation. I just, I'm leaving, I'm shifting my, probably like 85% of my life to become a vice president at Western Seminary. There's a branch in the Bay Area because I, I can't get out of my head. Young leaders need training and theological training. So I'm focusing a lot on that to see as many younger leaders trained in theology that are in ministry as possible. I love it. Well, uh, we I love what you said about TikTok because here on the podcast, we've been trying to integrate some of that, responding to some of those TikToks. And uh, Dan, I would love to have you come back on the show where we just do a whole episode responding to some of those TikToks. Pick the ones you think are, are tripping people up and we'll come back and we'll play them. We'll talk them through and discern through them and help people understand. Would you be up for that? Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, it, uh, and there's also something like as a musician for you. There's a uh, a couple who I don't know if you've seen them on TikTok. They're now taking the very bizarro Bible verses and putting them. He was a former worship leader at a large church, and um, and now he and his wife they're now I don't know if they're atheist or if they're just totally you know they're but they take Bible verses and they know the worship uh, vibe of worship leading. And so they're now like leading worship, like, you know, um, smash your babies against uh, the rock. Like, and like, come on, sing it. And they're yeah, turning yeah. those into super clever. That's what's fun about it. Yeah, TikTok, no, it's, yeah, it's very clever. But I can tell, I'm hearing that and seeing that. And I'm like, oh, um, I, I would get, I could get confused. I could get like, I didn't know this Bible verses were in there. And so. Uh, yeah, yeah, so for sure, we'll do that. That's for good. Sure. All right. Well, I want to thank my guest, Dan Kimball. And uh, I want to let you know, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. It really helps. Uh, click the bell icon to be notified every time we release new videos. If you want to dig deeper into some of these topics, if you want some higher level education on how to interpret the Bible, go to ses.edu slash Alisa. That's Southern Evangelical Seminary. I'm currently a student at SES. I'm loving my class. I'm going for my philosophy certificate. Can't can't re recommend SES enough because they take a three-pronged approach to absolutely every class. They approach every subject from the disciplines of theology, apologetics, and philosophy. So go to ses.edu slash Alisa. If you're watching, if you're listening on audio platforms, again, you guys have done such a great job rating and leaving good reviews and sharing this out on social media. Every bit helps. So as we continue to pursue Christ, let's keep a sharp mind a soft heart, and a thick skin. We'll see you next time.